Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. How should we respond to medical tyranny? When it comes to the current pandemic and the suggested methods and requirements to combat it, there is widespread concern and varying opinions as to what is right and what is not. Some equate tyranny with politics, but there is a growing consensus that the pursuit of health should not be a top-down mandate coming from the civil government, but an aspect of biblical self-government and family government. My guest today is Calcedon Vice President Martin Selbredi, whom I specifically asked to discuss a recent book, which he wrote the foreword for, Health for All of Life by Jason Garwood. Thanks for joining me, Martin. My pleasure, Andrea. Those familiar with Calcedon and R.J. Rushduni will recognize the similarity of this book's title with the phrase, Faith for All of Life, the concept that God's word speaks to every area of life and thought. So, Martin, let's begin our discussion around a biblical definition of health and the jurisdiction given by God to obtain it, or another way to frame the question, does obedience to scripture bring about good health, or is not being sick the same thing as being healthy? <laughs> or being holy, right? Right. And, and that's the rub. What you need to have uh, in terms of the biblical doctrine of salvation is a wider net that you cast to see the uh, notion as not just merely spiritual salvation, but also a sense in which the body is being redeemed as well. And uh, so it has to have a broader sense. When we narrow things down, then basically we are uh, restricting God's authority and government over things. But we learn in scripture that the government shall be upon his shoulders and the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end. So when we talk about uh, health and salvation, we should see these as coordinated ideas, uh, that there's a wholeness, that the whole man is the object of God's saving work. It is man who in body and spirit and soul uh, that fell in the Garden of Eden uh, by attempting to be his own God. And so it's the whole man that's to be restored, not only spiritually, as important as that is, but also physically. The ultimate restoration, obviously, is uh, the resurrection at the end of history, when at the final judgment, death itself is destroyed. So there's a process by which death is being destroyed over time. And we get glimpses of this physical aspect of a change in nature uh, in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, passages that talk about lifespans, again, starting to extend out well past the century mark, or even the uh, animal creation being changed in terms of diet, so that they shall neither hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. So there's an end game out at the far point of history that we're tending toward, and everything works toward that goal. And that means not only our spiritual health, but our physical health as well. And as some have noted, including those who supported the production of this book, uh, if you're sick, you're out of the game. Uh, you need to, uh, to sustain your full service to the kingdom of God. You need to also be a healthy uh, person, uh, as healthy as possible, because, of course, this is a fallen world, and there are uh, difficulties and trials and tribulations in it. But given those, what is the path forward? Is that path forward one that's going to be dictated by the state? because it's controlling drugs and doctors and credentials, et cetera, et cetera? Or is there a level of Christian self-government that should be imposed so that we have what Tim Yarbrough calls decisional responsibility? In other words, the responsibility falls to the individual Christian to be on top of things. I don't think this is a strange idea. We recall Jesus himself uh, calling people hypocrites when they uh, we're looking at him healing the sick and whatnot and uh, saying, well, we need to run to the Pharisees to have them interpret this for us. And he says, oh, you hypocrites. When you look at the sky, face of the sky, and you see such and so, you see it's going to be a storm coming or it's going to be good weather. He says, if you can discern the face of the sky, then how come you can't discern the signs of the times? So but Jesus is saying is God gave you a, a mental apparatus to be able to determine things for yourself. And that's to be used and to uh, always resort to experts all the time 
is it well not it's a cop out but it's also hypocritical because we we shift ground whenever it suits us to shift ground and this is what happened to the, the crowds around Jesus when they didn't want to make the decision about whether he was the messiah they decided to uh push it off and delegate it and Jesus says you don't delegate that decision of what, who I am mm-hmm. but the same token when we delegate uh decisions about personal health that may or may not be biblically wise and it may end up in our ruin um, because God has given us uh, our own uh, mind, uh, intelligence, and ability to take dominion over ourselves. Oh, there's so many passages in Scripture, by the way, and let me finish this. this I'm going, going along here. It says, you know, if a man cannot control his own spirit, you know, he's like a um, city with the walls broken down. Well, if you can't control your appetites and your health and your things you're intaking, this is the same thing. It's not just the spirit, but the whole uh, enchiladas, so to speak. And I'm, right. not saying, I'm not saying anything negative about enchiladas, but I'm simply saying <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, there's uh, the scripture is continually talking about being in possession of oneself, one, one's own vessel, even Paul calls it, to have self-control over certain appetites that are natural to us, but are to be kept under and kept holy. So right. uh, that'd be my first shot across the bow on this topic. Okay. So there are a couple of things you said that I'd like to get into. First of all, the idea of if you're sick or if you're not well, you're out of the game. Now, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or justice. And obviously, if you are physically ill and you are not in a position to have energy or do the things that would be necessary to take dominion, this idea of being out of the game, and and that's kind of like a sports analogy. If the athlete is injured, he can't participate. But don't you think antinomianism or the rejection of God's law has made people think that being chronically ill or having diseases should not be anything that ever is a reflection on the individual person's responsibility to health? Well, if you make the point that there's not, a, not um, an absolute necessary connection between those things, you can probably say that safely in Scripture. After all, we don't want to sound like Job's three buddies who got him so completely wrong by their reasoning as to why he had boils all over his body. Now, that looks like a pretty unhealthy situation on the face of it, and yet the cause had nothing to do with anything Job had done wrong whatsoever. There was a sovereign act of God uh, being uh, in action at that point. So uh, we don't want to fall into the trap of assigning in a mechanistic way cause and effect. Uh, but by the same token, there are general rules, and the general rules usually apply. Uh, but we should be mindful of the exceptions. And because of that fact, we uh, have to hedge the way we, we approach things. We have to be, in other words, humble and not just charging in there like a bull in a china shop, uh, willing to accuse and condemn people because they have a sniffle. Uh, or they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, whatever the case may be, uh, this very accusatory pointing of the finger is something that's supposed to be done away with in Scripture. And Isaiah 58 even dwells on this point, that not only are uh, oppression supposed to be lifted, but also the pointing of the finger and the bad-mouthing of other individuals are listed as the ways that God wants the oppression to end. And that is a point of oppression. We don't want to oppress our brother or sister falsely we need to know the whole story, and it can be more complex. I mean, people are very, very complex creatures, and I think this is something that we, that Dr. Rush Dooney in particular, tried to get across, that man is a unity. His body and his soul are, are created together in the Garden of Eden, and so we should not treat them as separate entities, and we end up Neoplatonists, and once we go down that route, we start to discount the body and can regard it as, as unimportant, relatively unimportant. Spiritual things are more important than physical things. And once you go down that path, then you follow into the trap of the folks in the first century said, we're so spiritual, we can have uh, relations with the prostitute, but it doesn't hurt our spirit because our spirit is separate from our body. So our body's having this uh, relationship uh, that's evil, but we're so holy that our spirit is not touched by it. See, that's Neoplatonic nonsense. We are a unity, and it's the whole man that is brought under and brought into union with the prostitute at that point, and all the evils that come from that sin, uh, you can't escape from them. They will overtake you. So we need to see man as a unity, and therefore spiritual things do unite and have an impact on 
physical, and by the same token, physical things can have an effect on our spirit. So what you're saying is balance, and it's not name it and claim it, that if you're sick, you don't have a lot of faith, or if you're sick, it's because you haven't done the things that you're supposed to do. The, the whole emphasis on this book, as I've read it and gone through it a couple of times now, is that you can take responsibility and you should take responsibility for your own health and not depend on things coming from civil government telling you that this is what you must or must not do. Correct. We should note that the regulatory sector in a government grows because Christian self-government shrinks. It usually does it because limited liability laws are in place. Once you limit liability, <laughs> and some folks will probably have some red flags going off about liability laws for vaccines and what have you, but set that aside for the moment. Once you have limited liability, uh, then you've actually uh, incentivized irresponsible conduct because there are no consequences for it. See, the Bible has a doctrine of full liability, full responsibility, fully uh, responsible for the consequences of your actions, your products, anything that you do. Uh, but under limited liability, this isn't the case. And the way the state then makes the society function, it says, well, we took away responsibility here, so we'll add it back in with regulations. So regulations come in to patch up the giant hole that's blown into our system by limited liability. Uh, and that's where the regulations come in. And then the government, therefore, uh, is the arbiter of what is or is not a valid medicine. They can even choose not to look or even evaluate a medication and still declare it illegal uh, without testing to see if it actually would help somebody. So it's hardly any wonder that there is a cottage industry, if you will, that sprouted up that's huge in alternate medicine. Why? Because the existing guild structure of modern medicine has failed of all its promises. We're supposed to have, what, um, informed consent, but that has been wiped out left and right. We're not to be informed and, and not to be cons uh, consent to things based on full information. Rather, it's restricted information, if any at all, and we're simply told to shut up and do what we're told. That's no longer informed consent. So the so-called covenant between the uh, physician and the patient has been violated right there at the core. And uh, once you go down this path, this path, then you need governmental coercive force to make it stick because once uh, informed consent is gone and uh, there's no liability for anyone giving you something that could heart, hurt you, iatrogenic effects, they call it, when a medical procedure does more harm than good, cure is worse than the disease, uh, then you have tyranny. And the tyranny is there simply to protect the appearance that we have a good work functioning system because it is uh, forced to look good by compulsion. Right. So I think when my question about antinomianism um, was brought into this discussion, it had to do with the fact that if people don't understand health from a biblical perspective and that there's a responsibility for themselves, they will cede that authority then to someone other than themselves and they become very much like blind sheep who don't question anything. And so there are people, and I've heard them specifically say, well, if they say we have to take this vaccination for COVID, despite the fact that COVID's not truly a deadly disease by and large, um, I guess we have to do it. And so how do you think the church should respond to this mandate from the state? I think a faithful church is going to push all the biblical prerogatives for Christian self-government and uh, under law. And I think that's, that's important. They need to see that their bodies are under their control and that the children are the heritage of the Lord, not the uh, wards of the state. See, the government's position is your children are wards of the state. And that's why they fight us on homeschooling. They don't believe that the children should be raised and taught things that would set them at variance with the idea that the government, the civil government, is the ultimate authority. When we say God's the ultimate authority over the civil government, now we have a conflict, and the state tries to control that conflict by trying to control education. So, too, medical education is going to be limited and restricted, and that creates its own set of issues. The antinomian part simply means uh, that when we don't have God's law in place, a substitute, a surrogate, is always concocted, and that normally is man's whim. 
and whatever is good or whatever is expedient. And uh, usually it's expedient to do what the government says because you don't get any friction with the government. But uh, we see lots of Christians uh, and saints of old getting into lots of friction with the government. Uh, John the Baptist was uh, at odds with Herod Antipas, and it was in, uh, implacable. There was, there was no peace so long as uh, Herod Antipas had Herodias as his wife. So, uh, and by the same token, Elijah and Elisha, they both were at odds with, say, Ahab. And uh, there was a meeting at one point where the prophet was in the room and made a comment to the king Ahab, said, if it weren't for the fact that Jehoshaphat is here, I wouldn't even look at you or look toward you. In other words, you're nothing to me because God is everything to me. So once we put God big, then the state and the medical profession becomes smaller in comparison. And I think therefore shrinks to its proper role. I think we've turned the medical profession into messiahs that are saving us. And I think this is a catastrophe to think of it this way. They are not our saviors. They are at best uh, men and women in service uh, in a limited way to uh, help push some of the effects of the curse back piece by piece the best way they know how and presumably without transgressing God's law in the process. I think that always is a very, very dangerous proposition. You cannot do good that evil might, uh, or good do evil that good might come of it. I think this is a, a principle that cannot be violated. And yet it seems modern medicine is always uh, standing on that brink and oftentimes stepping over it. So we have to ask ourselves, whence cometh these medications? Uh, what is their purpose? What is the principle behind them? I think this is important because in the book, Dr. Garwood, not a medical doctor, mind you, but a, a, a doctor nonetheless, you know, theology, uh, he makes the comment that the, and goes into some detail about two different models of the human body and infection. There's Pasteur's germ bacteria model, if you will, that where the problem is out external invaders. And then there's Bouchamp's terrain model. The problem is the internal terrain of the body is not in adjustment to handle the exterior of invaders, which would normally not be a problem. So if your problem is external invaders, then your solution is going to be in you know, injecting things and swallowing things and inhaling things to deal with those invaders. The problem is that your internal terrain, the environment inside your body, uh, is not properly configured to fight off the invaders, which would normally not be a problem, but now are, then you have Christian self-government. You have to take personal responsibility to adjust your body and how it responds. So in one model, you're responsible for yourself. In the other model, you delegate all of this to the guy with the hypodermic. Right. And so there's, there's a difference in approach. So Dr. Garwood's position is we should take uh, as our standard position, a self-government point of view, and as a last resort, go to what they call allopathic medicine, as opposed to the other direction where we always resort to the doctors, and as a last resort, we look at alternatives. That model probably should be turned around, and, and it don't, wouldn't do any harm, and probably do a world of good long-term to consider inverting that so that the doctor is someone you see when you have a broken bone or you, you, there's something wrong with your heart or your lungs or something on that order um, where surgery might be required or other uh, aspects of the miracles of modern trauma medicine, say. Right. But but for much of the stuff, and Rashtuni said the same point, he says, you know, you can't go to a doctor. He mentions this in his book on his article on quackery. He says, and uh, you know, be eating a bunch of horrible stuff and taking terrible care of yourself and drinking yourself under the table and then uh, go to the doctor and complain that you're not healthy. And he said, you're the author of your current condition and you need to be the author of reversing that condition. Right. Uh, um, I think of the scripture that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And um, for the last, I'd say, almost seven years, I've looked at that differently than I had prior, that it means that those things I put in my mouth, those things I agree to in terms of medicine or supplements, and actually ask myself, am I glorifying God by the use of this food, this substance, or whatever? Um, do you think that there are specifics in God's law that we can use to determine whether a particular medicine, vaccine, or protocol is acceptable or not? And, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with having specifics. 
we have an instruction about not partaking of blood, for example, and that was probably used to an excess by the Jehovah's Witnesses who object to all blood transfusions. But a blood transfusion, even done quote-unquote safely, is never without its potential problems because it's blood and the life is in the blood. And it's a complex uh, liquid and that we still don't know fully all the way. Uh, and, and are still learning about, in fact, even to this day. Just recently, we learned that going through the heart, the uh, red blood cells are actually spinning uh, and have tremendous um, rotational momentum. This was not known prior to about 12 years ago. And suddenly, it's, it's, it's news, if you will, in modern medicine, that they're even shaped in a certain way to spin a certain way to do certain things um, in terms of holding certain parts of the heart open for, for proper flow. So. Yeah, we. but the other point I want to make is that God also gave us some wisdom so that we can even apply common sense. I'll give you an example. If uh, they take a series of um, cells that they're going to use to make a vaccine, uh, setting aside the question whether they came from aborted fetus or not, which is its own big uh, uh, red flag, uh, one of the ways that they make the things last forever, when they call it immortalizing them, make them immortal, is by essentially giving them the characteristics of a cancer cell. So one has to now think, do I want to have things that are essentially cancerous at least one level? Um, and I don't want to be equivocating words here, cancerous, cancer. I'm not saying they're injecting you with a tumor exactly. But there's a concern here because the very thing that makes it immortal is also the thing that causes cancer to do it. And this is the very thing that makes it possible to have the vaccine uh, from a cell that's you know started out 50 years ago and is still alive. By rights, it should be dead. It's not because it's been immortalized and it's been immortalized because they gave it the characteristics of a cancer cell. So now common sense starts to come in there and say, do I want to weigh this? Do, do the doctors know what they're doing? Are they going to take responsibility for my taking this vaccine that's been immortalized so I don't get tumors or cancers as a result? The answer is they probably will not take responsibility if you get a tumor from it. That might speak volumes to some, or other people might say, but the odds are so tiny. So now you're playing the odds and gambling with your health. But they'll say, well, the odds are more dangerous that you'll die from the disease rather than from this cure. Well, that's ours to assess. I don't think it's the government's to make that choice. Uh, we are not wards of the government. Uh, and I think this is the danger uh, when you start to follow the Roman Empire model that every citizen here is essentially a subject of Rome and uh, whatever Caesar says goes. I think once we're using health as a pretext, then our fear of death is getting in the way of our walking in with Christ. And that's the whole point that Christ came to do is do away with the fear of death. It says that right there in Hebrews 2.14, that those who through fear of death were all their uh, days in bondage to the devil. And when you fear death, you become in bondage to the devil. And Christ came to set us free specifically from that fear. Uh, and so if we start there, then we're going to be less inclined to say or, or be whipped left and right by every wind of medical doctrine. Because one thing, if, not, if nothing else is clear, it's that we've been getting a lot of mixed signals since this uh, pandemic started. Do right. this, don't do this, this works, this doesn't work. Now do this in combination with that, but subtract the other. So uh, it's like an exercise in Simon Says. And that doesn't uh, inspire any confidence in the system. And their right. excuse is, well, we're learning as we go. He said, yeah, but you the very first words out of your mouth were, trust us. We have it down. Do what we say. And you were wrong. But right. again, that's one thing that modern medicine does. Every time it makes mistakes, uh, it uh, tries to push them into the past. And they say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And we object and say, your track record is miserable. And, yet, and the track record uh, is good in some areas, but terrible in others. And, and you don't intend to shore up the things where you're bad at because you're making too much money at it. And therefore, the uh, fiscal aspect of it comes in. It's hardly any wonder that people are distrustful of a so-called big pharma because it is a big lobby. And we always question their motives. Is it all about money? Or is it to really heal us? Do they really want to heal every person of the disease so they can't sell that product anymore? That becomes an open question. A medical doctor operating on biblical principles doesn't want any more patients. <laughs> right. Our, my principle at Chalcedon, you know it well, is my job is to make Chalcedon obsolete so you don't need to have Chalcedon teaching the law of God. Everyone already has adopted it. You don't need us. Uh, exactly. the, the job is done, and I can go home and be uh, join my fellow brothers and sisters with uh, being of one mind on this. But at the moment, there's no one doing a strong job of pushing these distinctive. So 
the, the doors are still open and we're still working and laboring. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the question of, well, how should we respond? Uh, it's obvious that the average individual isn't as powerful or well-funded, but isn't that where the institutions of family and church are supposed to actually stand not so much in opposition to the civil government, but to be a check on the civil government and basically inform saying, no, that's fine. That's a great opinion, but we don't have to follow it. And that it's really the church's responsibility to help in that regard, to bolster families and individuals. And that's true. And we've seen some court cases that went badly for the churches at first until it uh, was appealed up high enough where then say Supreme Court says, no, the churches are right. You cannot uh, subvert their uh, First Amendment rights to religion at this point. So here we have finally some interposition where the church is standing firmly on the fact that it is a separate government. It is extraterritorial ter uh, is the term that Rushton uses. Extraterritoriality means that we kind of like are like an embassy uh, for the king of kings here in the midst of the world. And therefore, we're ambassadors, but we shouldn't be ambassadors in chains. We should be ambassadors free to present the claims of Christ the King. And that's so, why the church can't be taxed. It isn't that the, the government, the civil government says, we'll grant you grace. The tax exemption says, you have no business here. Actually, I think, uh, now I get the doctrine of the tax exemption from Ezra 7. In the rescript of Artaxerxes, the King Artaxerxes says there's not going to be any taxes, impounds, duties imposed on God's people because why should there be wrath against me in my realm, he says. If I tax God, that's the end of my realm. So he, he knows better than the United States government does, which always threatens to take away tax exemptions for the church speaking its mind. So we are a separate government from one point of view, but we also integrated. We are in the world, but not of the world. We should also be the best citizens. You know, the Romans, best Roman citizens in the first, second centuries were the Christians. They were still the most attacked and persecuted and, and murdered, uh, martyred and murdered, um, and, but we should be the same thing with the Christian today. We should be their best citizens, the ones most prone to be uh, uh, law-abiding, where that law is not in conflict with Scripture. But we also, if we have to push comes to shove, uh, we will serve Christ the King and Him alone, uh, and, that's, and then we'll t take our lumps. See, that's the thing. It's one thing to say, uh, I'm going to follow Christ, but I don't want to be punished for it. Right. Well, you might need to be punished for it, and you might pay a price for doing what's right. Uh, and you have a, more, a better resurrection as a result. It's one of the beauties of it. But it's going to be painful going down here because there's going to be resistance because you're proclaiming another king than Caesar. And, and Caesar generally dislikes that principle because that could catch on. <laughs> and, of course, it's our intention that it catch on uh, so that it shrinks the state back down to its proper proportions. And one of its proportions is not to uh, enforce injection of vaccines. Right. Now, making it voluntary is one thing, and having people with informed choice and having full liability back in place. Now we have a different picture. We have a biblical picture, but it is so far removed nowadays from what the Bible requires in terms of these simple things uh, that we really uh, are looking at a tyranny. So one more comment before that you dive in here. Uh, we need groups like the Rutherford Institute to take up these kind of cases. Here we have uh, Christians who are willing to go to court and to go toe-to-toe -to -toe against the, the tyrannical state when it tries to uh, push Christians around uh, and exert f unrighteous uh, force that is not warranted, that is not neither constitutional nor right nor biblical for that matter. Right. So we have warriors out there, and they're willing to take these cases on uh, pro bono in many cases, um, and they're there if we would just use them and realize that you know, he that's with us is greater than he that's in the world. You know, the forces of Satan are not stronger than the forces of Christ in the world. If we support and uh, use uh, those individuals, those groups that are willing to stand in the gap for us and help us get our, our feet under us. And that's the key. It's like, it's not enough to say, I'm so glad there's a Rutherford Institute you should support the Rutherford Institute, whether or not, and I don't know if it is, it's tax deductible or not. In other words, if there are people who are actually being the front line, then you should support the front line and not say, well, I, I hope they do well. I, I'm wishing them well, as opposed to helping them do well. 
yeah, they they are tax deductible, just so you know, because I have donated to them uh, gladly, and I and I recommend others consider doing the same, because the time might come when you're going to wish there was a Rutherford Institute, so you pick up a phone and say, I need help. They're coming after my family for doing this, that, or the other. And if you're uh, in biblical bounds and the state is overreaching again, it's going to take a Rutherford Institute to file those cases and get us injunctive relief. And I think it's important here to follow what Dr. Rashtuni says. You want to exhaust all legal means first before even considering anything uh, more severe than that. And those means are at hand. We just need to make use of them, be aware of them, uh, and don't listen to Christians, unfortunately, who tell you, no, 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 you got to do what the state does. Don't fight. Don't resist. Uh, that is not what we need to do here. We need to take advantage of the uh, things that are in place that can assist us. There's a helping hand, if you will. There is a brother uh, at time of trouble who's willing to come alongside, and they're there, and they are, will help us in the, this particular area of health and others. Uh, they've they've dealt with other issues, not just health, but health is now on the, on the front burner simply because it's being used as a cudgel to beat us with. Right. Now, you mentioned, and I think this might surprise a lot of people, that the Bible is against this idea of limited liability. So when people are wondering what we can do to respond, you can ask your doctor, you can and say, look, you're not willing to take responsibility for what happens to me. And until such time as you are, I'm not going to do it. But beyond that, um, I know not everybody subscribes to biblical dietary laws because they usually focus it on things like pork or seafood. But the biblical dietary laws prohibit certain things being ingested. And if, if you do a little bit of investigation, you'll discover that you might have cells from frogs or mice or rats that are, are used in the production of these things. And if you wouldn't eat them, why would you inject them? Uh, that certainly would be a corollary of uh, the position if one were to say uh, Leviticus 11 still applies today, then it certainly would explain an awful lot of things. You know, the, the notion that trichinosis has been done away with because high cooking temperatures prevent it from being passed on through pork is actually incorrect. What a trichin, uh, the trichinae organism forms a cyst to uh, survive the high temperatures, and it can be ingested as a, in a cyst form, and then it embeds in the human body anyway, and once it, the cyst uh, releases, can be a year, 10 years down the line, you have trichinosis and don't know it because you've not made that connection. So it's like the way I put it, you, uh, you don't always know the day of your visitation, depending on what you're eating. Uh, but yeah, that certainly is a more controversial area. It's a shame that it is, but... Um, Right, but that's just in terms of eating. Most right. people wouldn't subscribe to the idea that I should be allowed to eat monkey, I should be allowed to eat frog. They usually reserve it to the things that they're used to eating. But the point is, if God calls something an abomination, it at least bears investigation because that's a pretty strong word. Right. And it is the strongest word, by the way. It's sheketz in the Hebrew. It's also used of... Um, diverse weights and measures. And we all uh, have dollar bills and pennies and stuff in our pocket that are qualified as an abomination in scripture. And the government forces us to take them using legal tender laws. So by the same token, the foreign government can essentially determine who is or is not a doctor and take someone's doctoral, uh, have them take the shingle off their front of their office saying, you're not a doctor anymore. You're being uh, removed and defrocked. And we defrock pastors, we disbar an attorney, and we certainly remove a physician. Uh, now, that's supposed to happen for true malfeasance, but that's not true anymore. It could be that you express a what the, the government considers a heretical position. And here's the funny thing. Christians are not supposed to be on the hunt for any kind of heresies. But boy, is the civil government interested in any heretic when it comes to its positions. Mm -hmm. So they have a very strong anti-heresy uh, policy. Their view on heterodoxy, the position of alternate views, um, is punitive. You know, and they have the power to punish. And that's the danger of giving and investing the government uh, this kind of authority that it ought not to have, does not have under scripture. But yeah, when we get into the position of um, liability, uh, they're not going to make the change. If you rewrite a contract and say, okay, I will take this vaccine if we cross this off and you initial it, they're not going to do it. The entire system is based on the fact that they don't have to worry about people coming back 
and uh, suing them in court for damages done by their product. So you, when you separate the consequences of irresponsible or dangerous products um, from those who manufacture them, then that simply is their meal ticket, and that's dangerous. And the reason that the government allows it is that the lobbyists are very, very strong. Big Pharma is a huge uh, group. You know, we, it's very, very difficult to uh, get relief for certain things. Or if they even say, okay, well, if you uh, used glyphosate Roundup from Monsanto, here's the uh, cutoff for damages. You had to file from this day or that day. So they put restrictions on restitution. Now, the Bible says everything needs to be restituted, you know. Heavens must contain him until the time of the restitution of all things. That's Acts 3.21. So Jesus doesn't return until all restitutions have been made. There's a load of restitution that's going to need to be made <laughs> that we're avoiding and actually piling up more and more things that need restitution as we go because of limited liability rules, and especially as they apply to something as massive as the medical thing. As people grow older, more and more money is being spent here, more and more research is being done, and uh, the dollars become bigger and bigger. And it doesn't take much to, to, to uh, really get one of these companies upset. And, and that's why they're willing to alter test results. Uh, I'm uh, editing, had been editing a book in about the history of um, mechanical heart valves. And it's interesting, He, the author of that particular book has documented evidence um, um, from stationary, from big, big medical groups about what they were doing. Uh, and the people who want to publish the book want to remove it because they said, well, they're going to sue us. Well, but it's true. Yeah, but we don't want to have the suit anyway. Yes, I know you documented it, but we don't want. So it's very hard to expose because people are afraid because they're uh, batting a hornet's nest that's full of not normal wasps, but murder hornets, say. <laughs> right. So they're scared. Right. And it goes back to the idea that we accept licensing for businesses. So now if you dare to walk into a store and not have a mask, you have some employee who has no, he's not getting paid much, forbidding you from coming in without a mask. And why? Because the business or enterprise is concerned they'll lose their business license. So they actually are saying this business doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the state. And there are plenty of churches that are doing the same thing. We can't open because if we do, uh, we'll be in trouble with the state or insurance company won't cover us. And so you see really that this is a manifestation of fearing man more than fearing God. You're right. Dr. Rashtuni spends a lot of time talking about licensure and licensing um, from, the, from the concept to allow you to do something, to make a, something illicit versus illicit. And uh, it's interesting because he's careful to retain the doctrine of Christian self-government against the idea of state licensure. And the, it's alleged that you don't get control or, or power or, or quality that way, that you throw out all quality control. But that's not true. Uh, we've had guilds in the medieval era uh, that did not suffer from these kind of problems. They were self-policing in, in this respect. And anyone who was a bad doctor, they were immediately you know, run out of town, <laughs> or worse, they had to make restitution for whatever they did wrong. So if we return to that model, I think we'd be uh, much better off. However, there's so much invested in the current situation that we have uh, read an impasse. There's a, a quote that uh, I picked up from Matthew Henry. I'll say it in the Latin, then give you the English translation. I believe Latin is something like, ab initio quod uh, non valuet. Tractu temporis invalescit, which means that which was originally destitute of authority in the process of time acquires it. So something that had no authority at the beginning over time starts to get uh, acquire authority. And that's kind of how the medical profession started. It did not really have any intrinsic authority, but it starts to acquire it and then gets add what's kind of snowballs. And that's what we have. And we always have to look at it again and say, hey, this thing was originally destitute of authority. It just acquired it over the process of time, but that doesn't make it right. It simply means that it snowballed, and we should have a right to look under the hood, peek under the hood, and see how that sausage was made. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's justified. You say, yeah, this was a fantastic development. Um, things that they do uh, with um, prostheses and uh, heart operations, for example. My own grandson was able to uh, have his heart rewired, so what it would have been for certain a, a tragedy 
uh, in his first couple of weeks with a death, uh, he has a, a, a almost certainty of a long life ahead of him with running three valves, three chambers in his heart instead of the normal four, thanks to modern medical science. So it has tremendous achievements, and those need to be acknowledged because we don't tell lies of, you know, when the truth is required. But by the same token, we also say, but there's areas where modern medicine is not in such, uh, does not have such high uh, standing, especially when it's forcing us to accept things as true, uh, whether uh, they're true or not, simply on their raw authority. Because then we say, oh, well, maybe they did not have that authority at the outset. Uh, maybe this is a case where Matthew Henry's little proverb applies. They were destitute of authority at the outset, and over the process of time, just happened to acquire it. That means, for example, we, there's a biblical example, Purim, the Feast of Purim on the book of Esther, did not have any biblical sanction, but by the time Christ comes around uh, in the first century, it's being observed as a feast. Is it right or wrong? Well, it was originally destitute of authority, and the process of time acquired it. Does not make it a biblical feast, but doesn't mean that traditionally it can't be observed. So there you go. There's examples of it all over. But when it affects your health or your life, Maybe you better look under the hood and see what's going on with that authority. Somebody recently sent me a article about church leaders getting in on this, telling their congregants that it's okay to take the vaccination, even though uh, there's DNA altering mRNA technology in use as a result of them, saying that because this amazing thing could happen, it's obviously a testimony to God and creation, and telling people that if they don't take this vaccination, they're violating the second great commandment. Would you like to comment on that? I think there's a lot of uh, ethical nonsense in the foundations. If you, if you, again, peek under the hood there on the argumentation, uh, we're not allowed to do evil that good may come. So if someone makes a case that, you know, if we would abort, you know, it's just a matter of where we draw the line, right? If you, uh, we might draw a line saying, well, it's wrong to abort a bunch of children right now and use their, uh, the placental fluids or their tissues to create a vaccine that'll be injected tomorrow. But now just by injecting some time span between there and worry about, you know, will the DNA change our DNA? And is that bad, necessarily bad? Is it good? Is it, is it uh, a transgression of a boundary in scripture? I don't see that these theologians have the apparatus to, to unpack all of that at the core level. I think you need to have some of the brightest minds in Christendom um, who might even be on opposite sides of that argue it first and, uh, and, and determine that, but not just to start uh, issuing these uh, permissions or, for that matter, um, commands not to do it, saying anyone who, who gets this vaccine is going to be excommunicated from this church. I think that's a step too far, too, um, because, again, you're denying self-government at the other level, saying we're going to impose from the top down that you must not have that. The other guys are imposing that you must have it. Uh, and I think the position of Dr. Garwood's book is the individual Christian has got the apparatus to take his health into his own care and make his own decisions and be responsible to God. Because ultimately, he's going to be responsible for what he puts in his body. He cannot delegate that and say, well, they told me to do this. Uh, the, the pastor told me. And God's going to say, but you had a mind and you could have determined for yourself. You, you can't just listen to what the pastor told you. This is true already in spiritual areas, right? This is the whole point of having private conscience uh, and a matter of uh, conscience and private judgment in Scripture. Uh, it's a legitimate position, and you shouldn't be taking it away or paving the road. So there shouldn't be a, a red carpet for all these things, nor there should be a, a door marked with 666 uh, through them, because uh, both positions assume that the Christians are too stupid to self-govern. And I think Chalcedon's here to say that's the very thing to be rectified. We need to teach, give the people the tools to determine this, to say what's going on under the hood. Is there, self, is there um, limited liability in play here? Is self-government being encouraged or, or, or short-circuited uh, with these decisions? Uh, are we supposed to simply do it on the authority that the, pa the head pastor? What a dangerous position. The pastor says it's okay, so I can do it. Well, what if the pastor is dead wrong? Dead wrong, right. literally, right? Uh, he, yeah, all these folks are now, you can't undo it once you take it. Yeah. So if there is such a long-term effect, which I don't see how you can determine a long-term effect for vaccines that have only been around for a year, uh, 
some of these things are 10, 20 years down the line that the effects are going to arise. So th then you have to weigh the risk. Sometimes uh, a vaccine, uh, I was inoculated for smallpox, so I couldn't go to Germany when I was 12 years old back in 1967. That's just the way it was. No one was going to get on that plane. They didn't have their smallpox inoculation. So that's the price you pay. You say, I'm going to trade this decision in order to uh, travel. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm going to have to smuggle myself into a box to Germany uh, <laughs> as a 12-year-old. So th that's the, the rules are there, and you, you make wise decisions based on what you're willing to do uh, and what you're willing for your family to go through. And I think that's a huge point because it just doesn't stop with you. So if you are the owner of a business and you say, okay, everybody who works here must be vaccinated. Are you going outside your biblical jurisdictions? Well, I think you and I would agree they are. And so there are individual decision points where people might find that their bottom line financially is compromised or their ability to work or their ability to get on a plane or their ability to transact business. But without the proper information, understanding what you're basically saying yes or no to, it becomes virtually impossible to know what to do. And I think the whole effort of the Health for All of Life book and the website healthforalloflife.com is a, just a multitude of introductions for things for people to say, well, I, I never really thought about that before, or, oh, vitamin C, vitamin D. I've heard about them all my life, but what exactly do they do? So that really the the more you are informed, the better able you are to make correct decisions. Also keep in mind that quarantine laws in scripture are for the sick, not for the healthy. So when you're saying we're going to want this uh, to create herd immunity, so that's the alleged goal. And nowhere does it say in the Bible that that's a, uh, a goal that can trump all other goals, not, not remotely. Uh, then you're saying, so prevention is this important. Well, here we are back at the quandary of the Pharisees. What did the Pharisees do? They put a hedge around the Torah. If the Torah said, don't go within 10 feet of this, then the Pharisees would rewrite that to say, don't go within 20 feet of it. So they kept putting these new laws, these accretions, these additions to the law. And the intent was to, to keep people even farther away from sinning than God required. But guess what? They were adding to God's law, which was not allowed. So by saying prevention is so important that we are going to in inject all these things into the populace is a tremendous overreach in its own right. You'd have to have tremendous justification for that. And prevention of a problem is not one of those things. Now, we might think a little different if it was Ebola, and if Ebola was rampant and we had hot zones in the United States, we, perhaps we'd be more inclined to say that's serious, and now perhaps the, the disease is worse than the cure, and the cure starts to look like a better option. But that's not the case in this instance. So by, by taking that decision away from the individual Christian and saying the government makes that, that decision for you, uh, that is overreach, and that is inherently tyrannical. Tyranny, of course, is defined as government without God's law, uh, without God and without law, his law in the picture. And that's what we have. And tolerance of it is only going to encourage more of it. Um, what you do then is set up sub-government. You have your own doctors that you trust, and you encourage them, and you capitalize those resources. Say this book becomes very, very popular. It certainly is in other places. It might even become so in the United States. Uh, it sets a different pattern in place, and I think there's a reason to see what happens with it. Uh, it's not, in other words, sometimes uh, whether a model is known or not is simply because it hasn't been tried and given a, a fair shot. And I think in this instance, it should be. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have anything above anecdotal evidence for some time, but that's because the other side is unwilling to run tests on things that it, it believes is not good for their bottom line. Well, not to mention the fact that you said that sometimes these tests and these studies aren't exactly honest. I personally love anecdotal evidence. If somebody told me I had really bad headaches and I started using this essential oil and now they're much reduced, I'm going to listen to that anecdotal evidence because I've got a real person in front of me who has no vested interest in telling me something that didn't happen to her. Right. 
And just as an appeal, I just had to come run across this in a book that you cannot get from Amazon anymore <laughs> or a books, but it's a, a correspondence with the Spanish Ministry of Health uh, in the around 20, uh, last few years, uh, where it says, uh, I'm not going to mention the drug, but he asked, why is, what's the story with this drug? The withdrawal from the market you mentioned was implemented because this is an illegal drug. Every drug requires approval from the Spanish Agency for Drugs and Health Products before it can be sold to the public. Thus, there is no assessment report because the product's authorization process was never even initiated. Best regards from the Spanish Ministry of Health to the author. So how would you know if this drug was good or not? It's simply been declared illegal prior to any kind of tests. So when they say uh, it's been tested and shown not to be true, that's not the case. These things are barred from testing because they could potentially be successful and effectual. And that's not good for big pharma. So a lot of these tests are, are uh, stalled and never get past this point because they're, uh, the results are not desired. We work with you and I with Dr. Kishore in the, uh, and we spent quite several years uh, trailing his work, showing that primary care medication has tremendous things to do uh, and aid in addiction um, solutions. But because it doesn't involve methadone or suboxone or these expensive drugs that are out there, uh, people don't want, you know, the government tries to shut down an inexpensive way to solve the problem. Despite the fact that he had 250,000 patients, none died on his watch, which is almost impossible in addiction treatment not to have anyone die on your watch when they're being treated by you. Uh, and his success rate is, well, it was up above 60% when they shut his clinics down. Um, and modern medications, they're down around 1% to 2% success rate. doesn't matter. Uh, we've documented it, and the fact of the matter is that modern medicine hopes this goes away because they want to keep selling the, the wrong cures, what we call, right. what he would call the true snake oil because there's money to be made in it. So it's sad. Until we cut that thread, I think, between you know filthy lucre and medicine, we're probably going to have a continuing problem, especially if you have limited liability, which simply encourages irresponsible conduct because there's no consequences for hurting people with your products. Right. Well, you know, you could take this and turn it into education. It used to be that somebody by the age of 13 or 14 was considered well-educated to go out and pursue a profession. Now people will stay in school well into their 20s. And um, I don't necessarily see better educated people, nor do you have the institutions who collected a whole bunch of money ever being responsible for the fact that these people can't find employment. So I, I think a, a good rule of thumb is whenever you have government regulation, expect that the results will be less beneficial. It's usually a sign of a failure because, again, the government is not uh, – it, it's very, very limited. It is not omniscient, and it tries to be omnipotent but it would have to tax us infinitely to get there. So uh, it's a series of failures, primarily because it's doing more than it's supposed to do. And one of the ways it achieves this is by destroying the currency. So it already is erected on an abomination in terms of a financial foundation um, because it tampers with the currency uh, and inflates it uh, by an act of government fiat. And so by the same token, by government fiat, it declares these medications are good and these are bad. Maybe they're right, maybe they're not right, but they don't want anyone to double check them on it. And this is where the problem is. Because if there are successes in alternative medicine of any kind, any stripe, I don't really call favorites here. I'm simply saying we should be open-minded. Uh, the second those arise, those represent competition to modern medicine and modern medicine hates competition. That's they so tried to They just tried to destroy the chiropractic industry uh, back in the day and that flopped miserably, but it wasn't for lack of trying to uh, make it illegal and a crime to be a chiropractor and to allege that you could cure things with chiropractic. Now, I believe that chiropractic has its very severe limitations, but in this particular area where it gives benefit, it should be acknowledged as uh, beneficial. And well, I, the scripture says in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So the chiropractor is the person to go for particular things, a yep. dental uh, physician, a dentist would be someone else to go, but then it, that goes back to the individual decision point being the individual and the family. Correct. And what you're told to do is you don't can't possibly know enough to make the decision. It has to be made for you because medicine is so complicated. 
But, you know, it's amazing how many uh, people can get into some of these alternate medicines and understand it quite well. And it's, it looks as complicated as uh, conventional medicine, orthodox medicine, in many respects. And it's hard to account for these apparent successes that they have. Uh, I think that they are an annoyance. And there's a point in time when, when modern medicine is confronted with continual avalanche of anecdotal successes for their competition, uh, it's not going to go away so easily with as, as it, it was. What they might have to do is what, say, uh, Wikipedia or <laughs> right. Facebook do is suddenly say, oh, uh, these little Facebook groups are promoting X, Y, and Z, which contradict modern medication. We're going to start shutting them down. And so the narrative is going to be forced uh, to be pro-modern medicine, pro-status controlled medicine, and it's going to be more and more difficult to exercise self-government. And so we need to be more vigilant now in taking responsibility for our family's health, health uh, right. while you still can, because but before it's totally taken out of your hands. Right. I, but I, I look at it. I mean, I don't think what you said was untrue, but people are waking up. And I know that um, I have basically upset the apple cart with a lot of doctors that I've been to because they wanted me to be on certain medications. And I said, no. And this one doctor said, well, then you will die. And I looked at him and I said, then I will go to heaven. And of course, he didn't have a response to that. But it's like, if we live our life to be healthy, so that we can continue to serve God, then the reason to be healthy is, is very important and should be pursued. But if the reason to be healthy is so that you won't die. Well, we all know that eventually we will die. And as a believer, the second death isn't going to, to, to get us and we're going to spend eternity with Christ. It shouldn't be something we fear. Correct. And while we're on this topic, I think it's um, this happened to, um, to my wife where they, and this shows an interesting pattern behind how modern medicine works. They're looking at the amount of calcium in your bone mass, et cetera. And what they've done is they've drawn a line and say, if your uh, number goes under this line, it's not that you have osteoporosis, but we have a brand new condition. Brand new name was termed osteopenia, which means a possible uh, inclination down the line to drop lower, but it's not. It's not down in osteoporosis. It's well above it. But they created this new category of osteopenia for which a new drug, Fosomax, which is expensive, <laughs> is to be prescribed. And so they go on to start prescribing Fosomax, which has its own set of side effects and negative things that, that uh, and, and downsides. So once you realize that osteopenia is not actually a disease that needs any treatment, but it was an invented disease in order to sell Fosomax, um, as a preventive for osteoporosis, then you can start looking at it and say, what do I want to take this Fosamax? Uh, because what on earth are you trying to cure here? What is wrong with my body that it needs this? What do you have osteopenia? Just because it has a Latin name doesn't make it a legitimate disease. <laughs> right. So don't buy that folks. It's, it's be wise, it's, you know, wise as uh, serpents and gentle as doves. Right. And then the obvious question is, okay, if I actually have this condition or whatever you want to say, what would I have to do naturally? Because as a Christian, if we really do believe that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we are redeemed in Christ, we can expect that if we do the right things, that our body will do what God designed it to do. Right. That's why I think it's interesting that the Jason Garwood's book talks about what he called the mighty 90. There's 90 nutrients, if you will, that we need. And if they're in proper balance, uh, and we're not shorting ourselves on any of them, everything should go quite well. The body should be in pretty good shape with those. Uh, and he has uh, some other things that he talks about. I, I was, I'm not an advocate, but I, and I'm not endorsing every element of his book, but I was willing to write the foreword to open people's eyes that this is an important book because it's taking us in the right direction. And, and some of his suggestions and ideas will stand the test of time, and some of them will probably uh, be modified over time as we learn more. But we have not arrived in this area, and Christians have been weak in terms of self-government under health. Again, because we trusted uh, what was going on as the government continued to uh, take control of medicine. And that was a mistake that happened on our watch, and now we're paying a price for it. Now is the time to undo the damage uh, and realize there's a time when you do want to go to your doctor, and there's a time when the doctor may not be the guy you need to see for your condition or your situation. Exactly. And what I really like about 
what you said in the foreword and then what I know in general about the people who financed this book and this effort is that they really took R.J. Rushduni seriously. Mm -hmm. He said he was skimming the surface when he said the Bible provides us with a faith for all of life. And he said by no means was he touching every single subject. And so that's what these folks are doing. They're, they're basically jumping in. And the best part about it is if they're willing to share it and then they discover they need to amend it, then they just can be honest about it and say, okay, some people found this useful, but we, we don't really recommend this. But be willing to explore, because if we really look at science as thinking God's thoughts after him, the answers will be there if people seek them out faithfully. That's right. I expect this book to go into multiple editions as they adjust it. And that's the way it should be with a scientific matter. It is a moving target because we see through a glass darkly, even when we're looking through a microscope. And that's just the way it is. Human knowledge is not omniscient like God's is. So we're trying to think God's thoughts after him. I think the more we do that conscientiously and deliberately, the better. And this book is a step in the right direction. I think it opens up uh, avenues and doors that people may not have considered until they see that how it all integrates in terms of the kingdom of God. I don't think it's as forced to fit as some people think. I think it's, it's, it's more natural once you get used to thinking in this way and saying the whole man is being addressed by scripture, not just our spirit, but the whole man. Um, and that includes the spirit. And I think this is important that we don't have a partial gospel or a gospel that only speaks to some of life. It speaks to all of life. And therefore, the name of the book is wise. It's, it's smart. It uh, reflects what we believe, that the Bible does speak to all of life, and it does speak to the health for all of life. And so um, I was very pleased to be able to prepare the foreword for Jason and the publishers uh, and try to prepare the ground, if you will, uh, so that they could then uh, set the book in motion in terms of the contents. And I think this should be an inspiration and encouragement to people. So let's say health is not your field, but economics is, or some other area of business. You can apply the scripture to the things that you see that are out of line with scripture and produce tools and, and information that will help people be more faithful as they seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Wouldn't it be nice if down the line, someone is in industry X and he writes a book, industry X for all of life. <laughs> and uh, it's the industry Y guy catches the scent there and realizes this is what I want to do too. So he shows what he does in his area and how he applies the faith to all of life to his particular um, mission in, in this world. I think all of it is subject to being brought under submission to Christ. We don't yet see all things in subjection to him, we're told, but we do see Christ seated at the right hand of power and authority. So that gives us a faith to produce books like this and to have these ideas circulate. And I think they strengthen Christians. I think the opposing position weakens us. I think Dr. Garwin's book, uh, even if it has errors in it, still strengthens us because it's heading in the right direction. Exactly. And I think um, to make a plug calcedon.edu is an, an enormously valuable resource for people who want to dig down and dive in and start asking themselves the question, how does faith apply to my life in all of its areas? And that's why a long time ago, Calcedon made the, the decision that all of Dr. Rushduni's lectures, his books, his articles, the magazines that go back well into the um, 60s are available for people to read at no charge because it was too valuable to restrict it to, well, this is the dollar amount that goes with it. Now, of course, for Calcedon to continue, people need to continue to donate and support the work. But in so many cases, They've truly paid it forward. Um, the people who first responded to Dr. Rushduni's ideas in the 60s and 70s laid the groundwork so that people in this century and beyond have the resources available. And I think those of us who have appreciated it realize that it's a very good place to invest. Correct. It gives us a strong foundation if you're firmly rooted in your faith, then the rest is much easier to work with. If you are on shifting sand, it's very hard to get your footing and figure any of this out. Great. 
So as we look forward to 2021, which a lot of people are saying has to be better than 2020, I think that uh, we can all be grateful for the fact that this the earth is the Lord's, regardless of what anybody else says, mm-hmm. and that he will bless his people for faithfulness. Amen to that. All right. Well, Martin, thanks a lot for joining me today. The book is Health for All of Life. You can get it on Amazon, and I imagine you can get it other places as well. But you and certainly that go to the healthforalloflife.com and you'll have plenty, plenty, plenty to listen to, to read, to explore, to get an idea of where Dr. Garwood and the other um, physicians and faculty, as they call them, um, have to share. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Anytime you want to give a comment or make a suggestion, out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.